Good morning, Riverbend. Welcome back to another gathering here in my living room. So glad that you made it. Thanks for joining me. I'm really excited about what God wants to say today. So do whatever you can to just be ready in your heart to receive what God is about to speak. So grab a cup of coffee if that's helpful. Say a quick prayer to focus your attention. If you need to send a last minute text message or write something down so that you don't forget it, whatever. Do that now because we're about to give our full and undivided attention to Jesus. As we've been saying throughout this entire uh, pandemic, we really believe that that's the, the, the um, need of the moment to, to just hit pause and to focus all of our attention on Jesus and really take cues from him. And what we've been discovering is that he is the original innovator, creator. He's always got something for us and he's always challenging us and inspiring us to grow. And first and foremost, church cannot be canceled even though we're doing gatherings in this way. That doesn't mean that the family has shut down. There's just no possible way that could be true. And he is working in all kinds of powerful ways if we have eyes to see it. And I know so many of you do. And I've been really encouraged um, to see you leaning into what the Spirit is saying in this moment. We're just going to continue on that same pathway today. Before I get any further, though, I have to say thank you so much and a happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. We love you and we deeply admire you, respect you. We wouldn't be who we are or where we are today without you. And I'm speaking in particular to my mom and my wife, who's a fantastic mother in her own right, and my mom. I love you so much. And um, yeah, we just so admire what you do and really can't think of a vocation that's more important than the one you're in. And there's so many of you who are in the thick of it right now. Also, there's a bunch of foster moms and adopted moms at, uh, at Riverbend, and we honor you and thank you for doing one of the most Christ-like things that we can imagine, bringing folks that didn't have a family, kids who didn't have a family, people that are treasured in the image of God, bringing them into your family and caring for them as your own. What a beautiful image that is, and thank you so much for caring for them. This is also an emotional day, sometimes with some mixed emotion for some of us, because either you've lost your mom or someone really close to you, or maybe you're a mom who's lost a baby or multiple babies. And so this is just a, a, a day that has a lot of pain and grief associated with it. And so if that's you, we just want you to know that God sees you. He knows your pain, identifies with it, and we are here for you as well, and we deeply love you. So if there's anything that we can do to support you right now, please don't hesitate to reach out because we really jump at the chance to pray with you and to serve you in any way possible. Also, I just want to say if any of you are joining us from our guests at Alpha, we are just really thrilled um, that you're on this journey of faith. It's been a couple of months now where you've been exploring these deep questions about the reality of God and who he is. And we're just thrilled that you chose to continue that journey with us at Riverbend. And um, what we're going to be doing today is pretty simple. Just opening up the scriptures, which you believe comes from God. And we're just going to talk through them together and learn what we can about following after Jesus. And um, we're glad you're on the journey, on the road with us. Again, if there's anything that I personally can do to help you process some of the questions that you still have, or maybe even just join in some of the wrestling with you, I would really enjoy that as well. So we're glad that you're with us. Thank you so much. Now, we've been on this journey of just 
talking about what does it look like for us as the people of Jesus to give him our full and undivided attention right now during COVID-19. And last week I introduced you to a practice called silence and solitude, which sounds kind of strange to a lot of us because it's been somewhat of a lost practice in the last, I don't know, 50 or so years of the Western church. But this is something that Jesus did all of the time, and we simply are following in his footsteps. So the things that are part of his everyday life, we want to make a part of our everyday life as well. So we're going to be continuing that conversation today. So let's pray um, and open up to 1 Kings chapter 19, and I want to give you some additional encouragement today from the scripture. So Jesus, we love you so much. We're so grateful um, that we can have this conversation with you. We're so grateful that even though um, gatherings are temporarily banned, that doesn't actually hinder your work, certainly not in our lives, and we believe that you are using this moment to spark a spiritual awakening in our region. We're so eager for that, and we want to be a part of it. So thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom movement. And we just ask that right now you would speak with power, that it would be undeniable what you're doing in our hearts because of just the power of this moment. It wouldn't come from me, I'm just a human. But God, we believe in your power and we want to see your power. And so we ask that you would just be here with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so last week I challenged you uh, to spend 15 minutes to an hour every single day this week in silence and solitude. And I hope that a lot of you went on that journey and accepted that challenge. For me, it's really just this simple. I want to operate from this deep conviction that Jesus knows what's best for me and he really loves me with a deep, undying, never giving up kind of love. So he modeled the kind of life that would result in my flourishing, in my thriving, in my living, as he calls it in John chapter 10, life to the full. Jesus has a vision for you to thrive. In fact, that that line, life to the full, comes from John 10, which you might remember we studied last week, where Jesus talks about or refers to himself as the good shepherd, which is this beautiful metaphor that where he talks about him leading his people by his voice, by his voice. In other words, this question of how do we live the good life or what is the good life and how do we live life to the full? Well, we, and for us, the way we answer that as, as Jesus people is we follow the sound of our shepherd, Jesus's voice, and we go where he leads us. Now, not surprisingly, not coincidentally, we hear the voice of Jesus in the quiet alone with him, which I can't think of any better way to hear the voice of God than to practice silence and solitude. Now, if you accepted the challenge I gave you last week, my guess is that you experienced what the great uh, writer on spiritual formation, Ruth Haley Barton, calls the push-pull phenomenon. So on one hand, the push-pull phenomenon is this. On the one hand, we are drawn into our time alone with God, and there, and, and we, and we love it. We, we, Jesus is compelling to us, and the things that He has to say are exciting to us. And it's a tremendous honor to know God in the way that we get to know Him. And we're at peace, and we're flourishing, and it's great. But on the other hand, uh, we are pulled away from it. There's all kinds of things that are conspiring against our time alone in the quiet with God. And um, it's just 
basically our humanity and it gets in the way. We have this basic human instinct to avoid the uncomfortable, to avoid emotional pain. And in the quiet, um, all of those things come rushing to the surface. And so sometimes subconsciously, sometimes without even really being aware of it, we sort of avoid pain. And so we sort of turn up the noise as a way of coping with our brokenness without actually dealing with it. We talked a little bit about this week, this last week, but a major culprit of these uh, sort of um, coping mechanisms in our culture is digital distraction. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking if you've been around Riverbend long, you're like, oh no, here he goes again. But um, I promise I'm not going to go off. But we do have to talk about digital distraction at least a little bit because um, what's happening is this affecting us deeply. Ronald Rollheiser, who's uh, this phenomenal author uh, and Christian leader on uh, spiritual formation, he says that uh, our our tech, like along with our uh, what he calls pathological business is distracting us into spiritual oblivion, which I don't know about you. That just sounds terrifying and not what we want at all. So more than ever, we are just filling all of our spare moments, which we could be spending, of course, in the presence of God, enjoying his company and hearing his voice. Um, we are just spending scrolling through the infinite feed of media on our phones, right? And this is always always near us. I'm recording this from my phone right now. You may be watching this on your phone. It's just a, become like a, a, an appendage, as our friend John Mark Comer likes to put it, um, it to, our, uh, to, to our lives. Now, recently, Apple has thrown us a lifeline by developing a new part of the software called Screen Time, which I think is fantastic, a way to sort of um, put guardrails around the time that you spend um, on your phone. I think it's a good idea if you don't already have those guardrails set up, please do that just so that you're not like fully immersed in digital addiction. But tech isn't the only problem. It's like tech notwithstanding, we still experience this dynamic, this push-pull dynamic in our practice of the presence of God. We love it and we crave it and we're also pulled away from it. So I want to give you just a couple of more encouragements for this week as you stick with it and hopefully some practical uh, wisdom on learning how to hear the voice of God. And where this comes from is just my own personal life with Jesus in my experience in the scriptures. That um, the more I spend with Jesus, the more compelling his voice becomes to me, the more captivating he becomes to me, the more I crave and love my time with him. And the, and the more time I spend with him, the less vital and essential the rest of the noise really feels like by comparison. So I think there's momentum to it. I think the more you learn to hear God's voice, the more momentum you have in your own personal alone time with God. So to sort of make this point and to talk about some practical wisdom, we're going to look again at the life of Elijah. This is a great, great story from 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Now, if you're new to this story, um, this is a low point in Elijah's life. And uh, he's 
running from um, the law, essentially. He's uh, been accused of sort of causing this um, political up, up, uh, unrest, upheaval. And so he's running away to this place called Mount Horeb, which you're familiar with the biblical story. This is a place of encounter with God. This is a place of national significance for Israel. It's where God handed down to Moses the stone tablets. It's another Horeb is another name for Sinai, we think. And so what the best idea that Elijah can come up with is I just need to retreat to the place of encounter with God. And so this is what he does. And he's huddled away in a cave and he's seeking the face of God at Mount Horeb. And this is what verse 11 says. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. <laughs> and so the Lord said to him, Go back to the way, that, the way that you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hezael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, the son of Shaphat, which I almost read Snapchat. It looks like Snapchat to me. <laughs> to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. All right, so this is a jammed, packed passage, and I'm excited to get into it with you. Here's the main idea. In the quiet place, which... I think that's the name of a movie from John Krasinski, but that's not what I mean by that. In the quiet place, the original quiet place, the time alone with God. In the quiet place, Elijah hears the still small voice of God and he is forever changed. He's transformed. And that goes for us too. Like the place of encounter with God, the solitary place where we hear his voice is the place where we are deeply changed. So uh, think through this with me. Like God can communicate in any way that he wants. So why does he come to Elijah with this still, small, gentle whisper? I think that's really actually the point of some of the earlier verses. I, I love the theatrics of this passage. And I think what God is doing here is it's about differentiation. In previous times, God had come in a wind. He had come in an earthquake. He had come with fire. These were the sort of the big, powerful, unmistakable signs that God is here that Elijah was used to. And Elijah, of course, he was a good student of the scriptures, better than any of us. And he would have known this better than all of us. And that's, of course, not to mention that just the previous month, 
God had revealed himself to all of Israel uh, for his, he revealed his glory for everyone to see. And this was actually through Elijah when Elijah prayed and called down fire from heaven, right? This is amazing. God can communicate his power and his way any way that he wants. So again, the question, why the gentle whisper? I think there's at least a couple reasons. Number one, the way God wanted to speak to Elijah was unique. To quote Shakespeare, the past is prologue to the future. So all of those big, powerful, unmistakable signs that God chose to reveal himself in previous generations, it was the, those were the things that built Elijah's faith in God. It was a part of his journey of faith, was hearing about and seeing God move with power. And by this point in his life, he had already experienced a lot of that, and he was already a man of God because of the powerful acts of God. But that was just the beginning. God wanted to speak to him in a new way right then. And I think he wants to speak to us too. And it wasn't loud and it wasn't demonstrative. He had to be listening carefully. And that's, of course, why we have to turn down the noise in our lives as well so that we can be hearing the voice of God. He's not always rattling us to get our attention. Sometimes he's speaking to us in a different way and there's very specific reasons for us. But we, we need to be listening carefully. And also, unlike the fire from heaven from the month prior, God, uh, the word that God whispered to Elijah wasn't for all of Israel. It was a inside, private, personal word just for him. And in his time in the quiet, Elijah experienced how the power of God interacted with and came to life in his emotional pain and in his inner brokenness. There is this intimacy and a deep personal care that God is expressing in the gentle whisper that cannot be expressed in the raging fire from heaven. They're just different kinds of communication for different reasons. And God knew what Elijah needed. And this is such an important point because we like to be self-actualized and we like to be autonomous and we like to be sort of the rulers of our own little world. But in silence and solitude, we don't get what we think we need or what we perceive that we need. God gives us, the Spirit of God gives us what He knows that we need. The one with infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge. He gives us what we, what He knows that we need, right? We uh, sometimes fool ourselves. Sometimes we're not fully aware of ourselves, but God searches our hearts and knows us completely, and He gives us what He knows that we need. And there, so in other words, there is this time for fire from heaven. That's what that moment a month prior to this experience uh, called for, fire from heaven. And then there's a time for this still small voice. God knows what the moment calls for. And as I was uh, getting ready for this and sort of reflecting on this, I was reminded of the very first week of quarantine. We were all at home, and I'm me and my family, and I'm sort of a type A, uh, goal-oriented person. And so I sat down with our family, and I said, I think I know what this time is for. This is aggressive goal goal-setting time. And I wanted to set personal goals for us, family goals for us, financial goals, and 
fitness goals and organization goals and behavioral goals for the kids and all of these things. And I, as I was speaking, I could tell that my wife and my daughter in particular who knew what was happening, they were starting to become deflated and they were starting to not be on board with what I was saying. I, it was very clear that I didn't know what they really wanted or needed in this time and I was pushing my own agenda. And so we compromised and I set a bunch of goals for myself and I've been doing a lot of things like uh, starting a garden and a bunch of other things so that all of that pent up energy that I have from being um, sheltering in place, I get to express those things and then um, come back to my home and and have a relaxing and enjoyable environment for my family. So uh, we're learning as we go. I didn't know what this moment needed. The point of the story, I didn't know what this moment was was requiring for my family. Um, but God always knows the need of the moment. And when we submit to him and when we trust his voice, he transforms us. And this is why I'm so excited for you to experience silence and solitude. Because some of you have been on this journey for a while and you know what the voice of God sounds like and you're attentive to him and you know how to listen. But for others of you, this is a new idea, a new practice. And no matter where you, you're at, this is an invitation that is for you. And God knows where you are. He meets you where you're at and he's going to fundamentally grow you, change you from this experience. He knows what you deeply need and he knows exactly how to speak to it. Number two, he wanted to give Elijah and us a new perspective. So going back to this story for a minute, it's like in the quiet place, God uses the time that we have with him to reshape our thinking about the rest of life. So at the beginning of Elijah's encounter, I think this is my personal take. I think he has an unhealthy attachment uh, to his calling and to his vocation. Now, I could be reading into this, but it seems to me that there's like an exaggerated self-importance. Like, like he's doing all of the heavy lifting, and if it weren't for him, everything would be falling apart. He says, I have all of this zeal for you, and everyone else is betraying you, and I'm holding down the fort all by myself. That's kind of Elijah's attitude in this. And that's not necessarily to criticize Elijah. I, I think he's actually doing exactly what each of us should do when we go to the Lord in prayer. We want to vocalize the stuff that's going on inside of us, including the lies that I'm believing and the worries that I have and the anxieties that I have in the presence of God. He's not afraid of any of that, and he wants us to sort of let those things come to the surface and vocalize them. But how does God respond? That's the real key. How does God respond? He's loving and, and, and he's reassuring. He says, Elijah, I've, I've got 7,000 people that you don't know about. And I have a plan to advance my kingdom. And it's not all on your shoulders. In fact, I've got this. You've got a role to play. You can partner with me in it. But... The weight of taking my kingdom forward is actually on my shoulders. In fact, I want you to go back and I want you to anoint this man, Elisha, and he's going to be your successor. So you came into this experience feeling like there was no one left. I'm telling you there's at least 7,000 and I've got a guy who's going to come in and he's going to shoulder this with you and eventually he's going to take it beyond where you're going to take it. Elijah, I, the Lord, have this. 
right? And sometimes we need that that perspective. We need a larger perspective from God. So when Elijah lets go, it's like God is doing this sort of spiritual surgery, if you will, as this metaphor. That God is going in and he's cutting away and surgically removing the stuff that doesn't belong. The the exaggerated self-importance, the many things that are that are going on in Elijah's psyche and spirit that we don't fully understand. God is going to work and he's replacing them with his perspective. He's replacing them with the truth and he's building him up. Now, um, I'm a dad uh, and this time of self-quarantine has been, um, as I'm sure it has been for a lot of you, a big growing and stretching experience for all of us because our kids are in close quarters all the time and there's <laughs> meltdowns that happen. Uh, we have a two and a half year old Judah and we also have an eight year old daughter. And in particular with my daughter, when there's a meltdown over something like Judah's thing now, my son's thing is he will hit or take stuff away from her and not share all the usual stuff my kids are just like yours i'm sure uh, but um, there'll be this meltdown and now as their dad i i want to love them and i want to guide them and i want to lead them well and because of those things i want to see them grow i the way that i parent them is i want to change their perspective but in order to change their perspective a lot of times i need to change their environment I need to change the tone. I need to remove them from the volatility of the situation that they're in. I need to change the way that I'm approaching it, change my tone, change the words that I'm using. I need to express empathy. I need to use gentle correction. It's all of these things this, that helps give my kids the perspective that they need in order to grow. I know what the goal is because I'm their dad. God knows you and he knows what the goal is. And sometimes he is, what he wants to do is change our environment, change the tone of the conversation in order to give us his perspective. And that happens in silence and solitude because we're relinquishing control. We're letting go, giving up control, and we're letting God set the agenda. And he's the one who's beginning to shape things at that point. So when he does that, he speaks the truth over us. He speaks the truth over you. And he speaks what we need to hear. So again, Elijah, Elijah excuse me, is showing up in the solitary place with these unhealthy attachments to work. He's got this inflated image of himself. He's carrying a heavy burden that he's not intended to carry. And he's left to literally find his replacement. So he goes from, from this, he does this complete 180 where he goes and actually replaces himself and finds the successor after he's basically said that he's the only one left. So this is major transformation that's happening in the place of encounter. He's being set free. He's becoming indifferent to the different outcomes that are not God's perspective or God's heart or God's wisdom or God's plan. He's exercising trust in in Yahweh and the heavy load that he was carrying has now been lifted and God is showing him where his help is coming from. And so he's becoming this new man. And this is the thing that we want. We want our perspective to be reshaped by Jesus. And we want to have his perspective on the world. I'm sure that's what you want. And this is where we find that perspective. It's in the quiet place. So the result of silence and solitude is a deep sense of trust and intimacy with God. So to even engage with silence and solitude, it's requiring you to trust him, to trust in God. 
because uh, when we, 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 we essentially, we have to give over control. We have to give over our expectation. We have to give over our out, the outcomes that we'd like in order to be um, seeking God in silence and solitude because we're not bringing anything to the table. Again, he's the one setting the agenda. So all we're doing really is showing up and waiting on him and listening to him. So um, when we commit to this intentional time in the quiet with God, we're giving whatever control we think we have over to him because we're not bringing anything into the table. It's deep. It's, it's, it's a deep expression of trust. God, you are who you say you are. I am who you say I am. I trust in what you're doing. You know what you're doing. In the words of the Apostle Peter, Lord, where else are we going to go? You are the only one with the words of life. Right, so this is the perspective that shifts, that changes, and that actually transforms us when we're in the quiet with God. So here's a question that's sort of um, looming over a lot of us. I know, in fact, this is one of the main questions I get when it comes to listening to the voice of God, practicing silence and solitude, is how do I know what I'm hearing is actually the voice of God? Right, that's, and that's how I want to end today. It's talking a little bit about this. How do we know it's the voice of God? In fact, one of the common sentiments today from sort of the rational, fundamentalist, conservative, Western church is, you know, God doesn't really speak in that way anymore. And they're sort of inherently skeptical of hearing the voice of God. Now, let me say this. There is a risk that we have when we go into the quiet place of hearing something, some voice or some word or some impression or some image or picture or whatever that's maybe not God's voice. Maybe it's just our imagination or maybe it's something else with subconscious or whatever. Um, so it is possible to sort of mishear, I guess you could say, the voice of God. And that would be a bad thing. Honestly, that would be uh, that there is some risk of that. But we have ways of discerning God's voice, which I'm going to get to in a second. But I want to say this. I think the risk of ignoring or being unaware of God's voice is far more risky than possibly mishearing. Because if you're ruling out that God wants to speak with you, you're missing out on relationship with God. You're missing out on intimacy with him. When you're ignoring, like if you were to ignore your partner, your spouse, your roommate in this time, the fact that they're even speaking to you at all, if you're to ignore that, you're going to miss out so much on the relationship that you could be having with them. And that's what happens when we rule it out as a possibility that God wants to speak to you in silence and solitude. You're also ignoring the authority and the rule and the leadership that he has in your life to say, eh, I, I, yeah, he doesn't want to speak to me like that. You're basically saying that you're not open to receiving direction and wisdom and perspective and um, sitting under the authority of God, which is a dangerous place to be. And I know none of us want to be there. And then number three, another reason why this is risky is we're growing numb to the activity of the Spirit in our life. If we rule out the possibility that God wants to speak, we are growing numb to the work of the Spirit. And this is one of the things that Jesus and the authors of the New Testament warn us about. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. So in our sort of rationalist, uh, rationalistic mindset of sort of the um, post-enlightenment West, and we don't want to open ourselves to the possibility that God may be speaking to us, we are um, 
opening ourselves up to a, a major risk that loses out on the love relationship that you're meant to have with him. So here's what we want to do when we're practicing silence and solitude and listening to the voice of God. We want to first have this perspective that, remember, Jesus made us a promise. This is about Jesus. This is more to do about Jesus and his power than it is to do with your ability to listen. Jesus said that he's your good shepherd. He wants to lead you and that you're going to know his voice. He made you that as a promise so you can trust him at that. So this is about your trust in him. So that's the benchmark base understanding. Go into sense and solitude with the right perspective that Jesus wants to speak to you and he wants to make himself clear and plain to you. So that's number one. Number two, you may, as you sit in silence and solitude, you may get like a vivid word or picture or vision, or maybe a scripture comes like rushing to the forefront of your mind. A lot of times that's what it is for me. But a lot of times you may not hear anything specific right away. And maybe that's just an opportunity for you to lean into the peace and the joy of just being with God. You know, when I'm on a date with my wife, Grace, we engage in a lot of hopefully fun conversation, but then at the same time, we also spend a lot of time just being with one another. And so listening to the Lord is about quieting ourselves, not having any agenda, and being ready to hear when he speaks. But a lot of times, it's actually just listening. So you might have something very vivid. You might also experience something more abstract, like just an impression. You may just get an impression as you're listening to the Holy Spirit. And again, that is okay too. It's not like you're broken or you're not hearing God in ways that other people do. This is just simply um, how God is coming to you may be, like it was for Elijah, unique to the rest of Israel. Now, most of the time when people say God spoke to me or God's speaking to me, the way that I take that is not necessarily that there's an audible voice from God from the heavens shouting down in this big authoritative voice. That's not what we mean. What we mean is that he's speaking to us, maybe like he spoke to, to, to Elijah, with a gentle whisper, an impression, a word, again, a scripture, something like that. So that's what you may experience in silence and solitude. Next, you're going to learn to ask good questions. So much of listening is asking good questions. I know that as a pastor, when I'm doing spiritual direction or if I'm helping someone through a marital conflict or something like that, or if I'm inviting people to grow in their discipleship to Jesus and I want to learn about the person, if I'm going to be a good listener, that means asking good questions. And the same is true in my discipleship to Jesus. It's learning to ask good questions. So for example, you may get a word or a picture or a scripture. And the question is, what else do you want me to know about this? And then just sit in the quiet. Okay, thank you, God. Is there anything else? Okay, thank you, Lord. Is, is there anything else? And just patiently listening and asking helpful questions. So oftentimes, I'll receive a, a, a scripture or something like that as I'm listening, and I'll turn to that scripture, and I'll read it a couple times through, and I'll keep asking that question, what else do you want me to know about this? Another thing to do to sort of discern the word, if you're not sure if it's a voice of, of God or not, that's okay. It's not like you're, again, not like you're broken or whatever. What we want to do is we want to write it down. We want to 
uh, first of all, so that we can remember, but also that, that we can receive clarity. So we're going to write it down and maybe journal about it for a moment and continue to ask the question like, Lord, is this from you? Is Do you want me to hear this? Is this what you're saying to me? So as you write it down, it becomes more clear. And then, um, then you want to also ask more questions about, like, for example, does this agree with Scripture? That's a really important one to, to be able to discern if it's actually the voice of God or not. Does it agree with Scripture? God doesn't, he's not confused. He doesn't contradict himself. So if we are hearing from God, we're hearing his voice, then whatever he says is going to agree with Scripture. And in a lot of cases, as I already mentioned, when we hear from God, it is Scripture. Um, it's a verse of Scripture. But it has a unique weight when you hear God speak it over you. So you want to ask yourself that question, does it agree with Scripture? And then a lot of times hearing the voice of God doesn't just happen in a vacuum, right? So we want to actually uh, engage our community. If you feel like God has given you a word, if you've heard the voice of God and, and, and it's an invitation for you to act, many times it's helpful to bring that to your community, to people you trust and say, hey, I feel like this is what God has spoken to me, but I'm trying to discern if it's from him. Would you please uh, like speak into my life? I invite you to discern this with me. Would you pray about it? Is there anything that you see here that either may be from God or maybe something that I should know? So learning to trust wise voices in your life is super important. And so uh, we find safety in the community of the Spirit because, again, the, the Spirit agrees with itself. It's If I have a whim or if I have something that's coming just honestly from my voice, it, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to gain any traction in the community of the Spirit. So when you hear from God, it's a good idea. Write it down. Ask yourself if, if it agrees with Scripture. Also, ask the people you trust to discern with you. So these are just hopefully a couple of helpful tips to learn how to hear God's voice and to listen to Him and also to discern. But we want to be open. Remember, um, Paul says in Corinthians to earnestly desire the greater gifts that you would prophesy, to actually long for this stuff. It's okay for you to have a longing for. In fact, I would argue that's what the world needs now. That's what our church and our region needs now more than ever is for the people of Jesus to be urgently longing for and hungering after the presence of God now more than ever. I don't want to play around. I don't want to just, just talk about this as though um, it's... It's something to pay attention to, but it's, but it's not the most important part of my life. No, following Jesus is all there is for me. This is the most important thing about me is that I follow after Jesus. And that's going to drive you uh, to hunger after him. So, so I hope that that's encouraging. And I, I want to just give one final reflection or thought, and then we'll go and we'll pray, and then we'll go to the table of communion as well. So, And that is this, that there, there's so much change that's on the horizon when it comes to coronavirus. We we don't actually know what's coming around the bend for a lot of us. We don't know the next time we're going to be able to gather in person. We hope it'll be very soon, but we don't know when that is. We don't know what's going to happen with our jobs. We don't know what's going to happen with the future of our economy, uh, the safety of our family, things like that. We just don't know. Um, but we do have a trust relationship with Jesus. So our main responsibility is to give him our full and undivided attention. And he has promised you 
that he's going to lead you to the way of peace. He's going to lead you uh, to, to life to the full. So as we learn to just tune our attention to God's voice, we don't actually have to figure out the whole roadmap. We don't have to look five years into the future and know exactly what will be. That's for him to know and for us to learn along the way. Our main responsibility is just following closely to the voice of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace. We thank you so much for forgiving us our sin and making this new relationship that we have with you possible. And we long for more. We long for more intimacy. We long for more relational connection with you. We long for more words and prophecy and vision. Uh, We long for you to speak. We don't want to be guilty of growing numb or maybe because of this sort of um, rationalistic mindset of our culture discredit the reality that you and your presence is here and you want to speak. So we're your kids. We're eager to hear from you. So we want to give space for that now in this gathering. And we want to worship you with our whole lives. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. All right, you guys. If now's a good time for you, take a couple of minutes and just practice silence and solitude right now. Also, give yourself 15 minutes to an hour every single day this week if you can to silence and solitude. You can also sign up for different hours to pray at prayben.org. This is our 24-7 prayer movement throughout COVID-19. It's going fantastic. God's been working in so many mighty, powerful ways. We're seeing miracles happen in the life of the Larson family. Myla Larson, we believe, is healed from brain tumors, possibly. It's definitely doing way better, and we're so, so grateful for that. God is good. He's with you. He's for you. We're also going to move into a time of communion now, too. So grab bread and the cup in your home. Pray over it. Remember Jesus' sacrifice. And we love you guys, and we hope to see you really soon. Grace and peace.